0: Welcome to the Digital Decisions Podcast, featuring funders, thinkers, and implementers who are driving national digital transformation. Each episode, we go beyond the sound bites and explore with our guests some of the tough questions we all need to figure out as we transform our societies using digital tools. I'm Kate Wilson, your host. In these first few episodes, we're talking with our guests about the political and financing trends shaping the digital public infrastructure debate and digging into the biggest challenges facing the uptake of this approach. For this episode, we wanted to focus on how country leaders themselves view the global and national politics driving digital transformation and spend more time on the investments they are making. So today we're heading to the heart of Eastern Europe and focusing our attention on the country of Moldova. Perhaps to many, this may not be on the top of the latest rankings of digital economies. However, the nation is not sitting idly by. The winds of digital change are reshaping this landlocked country and its aspirations reach far beyond its borders. To help us understand Moldova's digital transformation and the challenges it faces, we're meeting today with Mr. Dimitru Aleiba, Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Economic Development and Digitalization in Moldova, and Elena Varta, a public policy expert with a diverse background in both governmental and non-governmental sectors. Elena has also authored policy briefs and articles on access to information and transparency and served as a foreign policy advisor to the presidential administration. Elena graciously agreed to work with me as the guest researcher on this episode and has been my guide to changes happening in Moldova. Deputy Prime Minister Dimitri Olava and Elena, welcome to Digital Decisions. Before we dive into the interview, Deputy Prime Minister, can you share with us a bit more about your journey from economist to politician and really outline the scope of your portfolio leading economic development and digitalization?
1: All right. Thank you, Kate. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to, to be here. So, I mean, just to cut the long story short, because it's been uh, almost 20 years of a uh, ride, let's say. I graduated uh, in Moldova, then I finished my studies in, uh, in Finland. I got a job there. Um, I decided to be an international consultant. I, I felt at the time that this is what I want to do. So I spent uh, five years of my life, over five years of my life going around Europe with different consultancy contracts, uh, working for different companies. Altogether, I worked in Finland, in Austria, in uh, Latvia, in Romania, Estonia a bit later. But then I decided to come back to Moldova way back in 2009. That's when I got a job with the government. I uh, was in the Prime Minister's office for a while. In 2013, I got, uh, I set up the Prime Minister's Economic Council. Together with the EBRD, we were focusing on uh, doing these business climate reforms to help the SME sector to uh, boost the, the economy. After that, Moldova was succumbing to corruption, sad to say, a very dark page in our history was beginning and I didn't see how I can be part of that government. I mean, I just couldn't see how I can be part of an increasingly corrupt and authoritarian government. So I resigned. I started together with, uh, with my colleagues, uh, an anti-corruption NGO. We were um, advocating for transparency, for anti-corruption, for um, investigating high-level corruption that have shocked an entire country and actually much more than just Moldova, it went way beyond our borders. That's what I've been doing since uh, until 2019. We were quite successful at our job. We were uh, so successful that we were prosecuted, we were intimidated, we were pushed around, our families, um, you know, were being intimidated as well. My father was arrested because of me and you know, many other such things that authoritarians do around the world. But that has taught us a lesson that democracy is so very valuable and that corruption is a direct threat to democracy. The more corruption, the less democracy you will have because those at the top will just want to survive and to hold office. And for that, to achieve this goal, they will have to cut through individual freedoms more and more and more and more First, first is the freedom of expression then is the freedom of spread of press then is the freedom of association transparency and everything so this was the lesson that we had a very pricey cost let's say in those times in 2019 I was uh, invited by now president Maya Sandu to join uh, political campaign So I ran for the parliament, and that's how I ended up in the parliament, without really planning to to do politics at the time. After that, uh, well, after a few more years in opposition uh, battles and so on, we won overwhelmingly two years ago. Actually, two years ago, two and a half, uh, with a majority of the parliament uh, being pro-European, anti-corruption, uh, pro-reform, first time in this country's history. Uh, and last year, about the same time, uh, about yeah, the same uh, the same time as now, uh, one year ago, a bit over one year ago, i uh, I moved to the government as uh, Minister of Economy. after a government reshuffle in February, the Minister of Economy also took the competencies of digital transformation. So now this ministry, and I took the, the, the post of Deputy Prime Minister. Uh, now this ministry is the Ministry for Economic Development and Digitalization. And uh, you know that's a deliberate decision because we want to see digitalization, digital transformation as an enabler of economic growth, as an enabler of economic development. And to do that, you have to empower the citizens, empower the businesses, promote transparency, cut corruption by promoting ever more public services online without the risk of corruption, without grumpy and often corrupt civil servants uh, imposing their rules. Uh, Now, I don't want to be too negative about my country. We've done a lot in the last few years um Moldova is uh, in Transparency International's Corruption Perception Index we are at a 10 year low it's been quite dark times for Moldova as i said we are only out of the woods but there's still a lot of work to be done on corruption and on uh, growing this uh, this economy to to a really a degree of uh, you know european standards So that's where I am right now with my colleagues. Uh, We are rocking it.
0: (laughs) That's an inspiring and um, hard story in many ways. Congratulations to you and your colleagues sort of for the progress you've made in particular, because actually achieving that 10-year low is, is a huge accomplishment in just under two years. I noted something when I was doing some research for this episode on a TED Talk that you had done. Describing sort of the butterfly effect and how that had affected you or your thinking, I guess about what the butterfly effect was. I was curious. How do you see that as applying to Mobola's digital transformation? <laughs> and can you describe for our listeners what it is? Because it was something. It was a term I hadn't actually heard before. I,
1: Kevin. I honestly have forgotten about that that talk. It was like <laughs> years ago, and let's just say um, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't do it the same right now <laughs> fair enough <laughs> but still a fan of this philosophy because little things matter and uh, these small uh, decisions small things that small seeds that you plant today might influence greatly in in the future sometimes you don't even know how so i think that's what digitalization can uh, can really offer, because it might seem that it's just something that you put online. It might seem that it's just some batch of data that you publish, but in fact, uh, the impact can be massive because I, I, you know, just by accident, I I have a, just a, a memory from some time ago, we were, it was, yeah, around 2015, I would say, I was in the economic council. It was a weird uh, situation in a way because I am in the prime minister's office. I am placed a few doors from the prime minister. And at the same time, we are waging a war with other ministries and with other authorities on uh, something that we believe is unjustified in, in an unjust manner being blocked bureaucratically. So at the time, Moldova didn't have any transparency when it comes to the owners of companies, so ultimate beneficiaries. It was just LLC without any name behind it. And to get that, you need like one week and you need a written, signed uh, form and so on. So of course, it's very fertile soil for corruption. We wanted to get rid of that and we wanted to publish it all uh, online. But there were those uh, who thought it's a very bad idea Invoking all kinds of stuff like personal data protection for for owners of companies, but this is what they were doing some uh, almost ten years ago, nine years ago. At some point, after almost a year of uh, you know trying in a civilized manner with all these working groups and all the stuff, um, endless meetings and so on, we realized that they're just uh, you know playing us. So uh, we started talking to the press, we started talking to the media, we started. Uh, being very outspoken about about the situation and about who is blocking it and so on, we found allies in the civil society. So it was uh, quite a quite a scandal. We were personally for me it was the first experience. After that, we've done so much worse in a good sense <laughs> in fighting the the institutions that don't want reform. But, at the time, it was a bit of a yeah, new new experience also for me personally. In the end, we cut through it. we they just gave up. they they issued the data. And this just you know very small thing has impacted a lot when it comes, you know, to the uh, free media, investigation journalists, just you know curious people, but also businesses, you know, studying potential competition or studying the market or studying potential customers and so on they could see who is who it's very simple and i know that it's a norm for decades in other countries we did it only 10 years ago then i had to resign of course basically mm-hmm. <laughs> started a, a very positive uh, process where uh, you know investigation journalists could be much more efficient and free uh, media was uh, faster in investigating uh, the connections of uh, of corrupt politicians and how they hide behind different companies and so on and so on and so on. This has created uh, conditions for different commercial projects uh, that uh, uh, offered this information in a more friend user friendly manner and so on and so on. So each public service that we that we launch is first of all convenience and second of all efficiency and productivity for the economy but also huge potential for cutting corruption we don't have time to study how they make money sometimes out of uh, out of uh, opacity but uh, just bring transparency and uh, this will probably solve it to the to a substantial degree
0: Thank you. Is it fair to say that there are three lessons in that? So one is the process of digitalization brings a transparency to what was often done underneath the covers, which provides you a powerful way to fight corruption. Two, that by exposing some of those moments and then bringing in the press as your your ally you can also expose that and then bring the citizenry involved and then mm. without mm. digitalization this probably never would have been possible to put up in a cost-effective way
1: absolutely Did I get that right okay uh yes this is uh this is uh, the whole idea uh that you know digitalization is a great enabler of of uh, change be it in the economy be it in the society be it in the justice sector fighting corruption in uh, engaging and involving the citizens and informing them and uh, and so forth i would add the fourth uh, another let's say message or lesson that sometimes you have to to really pick a fight the the reality is that not everybody likes it not everybody believes in it and it's easy when we see as an in, in it's easier it's much easier when you see in the opposition corrupt corrupt interests and corrupt uh motivation but sometimes it can be an honest skepticism sometimes it can be honest people who simply do not believe that this is the best way, who don't trust the system enough because they don't understand it and so on and so on and one way or the other it requires a conversation, a debate about how it is best.
2: You are quite known, uh, especially when you were a civic activist uh, and as a former MP for your fight against corruption. Can you share more about your present focus on preventing corruption, limiting shadow economy, as well as increasing transparency in Moldova? Why is this such an important priority for the government?
1: Thank you, Elena. Our main task is to to bring equal opportunities to people, right? And the corruption and unfair competition, including underground economy, shadow economy, uh, and many other. These manifestations—they are uh, distorting this fair access to opportunity that we have to grant to people. That's why, uh, that's why it's important to us as a government. We have to send consistently the same message that everybody is equal in front of the law, that everybody is entitled to the same opportunities, and that nobody can cut corners. Or can cut the queue because they uh, and they know a friend of a friend that could help them out. And that's, and that's again, uh, very important. We want to build trust with the entrepreneurs. And um, in this process, um, them knowing that we are treating everyone equally is very important. We need mutual trust and understanding in the society the government needs to uh, be known uh, as uh, you know an arbiter as uh, someone impartial who is uh, offering access to the same services to the same opportunities to everyone that's why it's important i think
0: Switching gears just a little bit and talking about the new digitalization strategy, which was approved in June. So my understanding is that strategy really builds on what Moldova had been doing since about 2006, but is a new plan for 2023 through 2030 to have Moldova become a 100% digital economy. I was wondering if you could share with listeners the areas that your team prioritized in the document. And I wanna say for those who are listening, this is an incredibly impressive digital strategy as somebody who's read a lot of these. It's really quite (laughs) lovely to see. Yeah, it's really quite lovely to see, particularly your focus on very specific actions you will take, but actually the measurement and your risk planning is something you rarely see in these documents, but I think is done incredibly well. But I was wondering, could you, just talk about the areas that you prioritized and then how in that do you actually decide which of those priorities to kind of pursue at a time? Because it's a really ambitious plan.
1: Thank you, Kate. Well, as I said, we see digitalization as an enabler of growth. We really see how we can accelerate our growth by being smart about it because if Estonia can save up to two percent of GDP uh, from digitalization then we can do it and anyone else can do it and there is one thing that Moldova needs desperately it's accelerated economic growth because we are right now in a situation where we are pretty much at the queue of the continent being it's not I don't think we deserve the title of uh, one of the poorest countries in Europe to be honest we can do so much more we just need the enablers of growth and we see this as as one way of uh, of accelerating not the only one but one way by which we can be much more efficient and much more productive economically speaking so what we did is to try to prioritize why you know why digitalization matters and how it will change the lives of the people of course there is a lot of back office work that's our job we've been doing that until now and to be frank i believe in terms of digital infrastructure although it needs improvement we are quite okay if we compare ourselves to the region you know we're uh, we're good on the cloud solutions we're good on the on the penetration of digital services, on the uh, digital infrastructure institutionally and so on. But what we feel that can have an immediate impact and uh, uh, also gain the support for for the agenda is, of course, the public. So that's why uh, we have uh, prioritized exactly what one would call the the front office. So I want all the public services digitalized and available online as soon as possible. That's why our agenda in this is very intense. I'll just give you one example how fast we're moving. In June, we had 38% of the public services for entrepreneurs digital. So out of 500 plus services, 38% were available in digital form. Uh, in September, we were already at forty eight percent. That's only in three months. Uh, we're really pushing, and we're gonna have seventy five percent by the end of next year. and we're going of course to all hundred percent in parallel, and again, it's a messy situation. it's it's uh, you know it's multi-stakeholder process. it's forty three institutions out of which not everyone plays in you know in the same team, let's say, let's face it, let's be honest. But nevertheless, we believe that we have right now the opportunity to really get things done and fast. That's why uh, we are racing against the clock. In parallel to having, first of all, uh, the services available in digital format, of course, we are driving the uptake. So each and every institution has very clear KPIs, in terms of driving the delivery of services in online format. So until we reach the gold standard of, you know, digital only, we are monitoring the institutions in uh, in their effort of, uh, of driving and promoting digital services. Uh, moreover, what we did was to sort of make, ourselves and everyone around us accountable to the public. So we just publish the whole thing and we keep updating it. Um, I believe, again, we believe in transparency. This is the cheapest way of promoting reform. And when we have the opportunity, we're going to use it and we're going to be outspoken about it. So we just published the whole thing and who has what uh, and who uh, is doing well and who is uh, behind. And uh, that is a huge power in a positive way on the authorities that are supposed to to quickly move and digitalize absolutely everything. I believe we can uh, we can be hundred percent digital in terms of you know public services availability in just a couple of years. Of course, you know we're gonna invest in infrastructure and that uh, and. Uh, Strategy is very clear about it as well. There is a lot of things which we still have to adjust, but um, nevertheless, the base is there. We're investing in, uh, in cybersecurity. Here is a lot of ground that we have to recover. Uh, to be frank, we are now, again, racing against the clock to sort of bring our standards to the up to the European norms. So yeah, things like that. But what's important to to mention again is the fact that we want to make digitalization useful for the public. And that's when this agenda will be, uh, you know, it's unshakable already.
2: So speaking about transparency, why do you think it's so important to track progress? and publish regular reports. And you're doing that since you're in office. You're doing that for the, uh, digitalization. You are doing it for uh, the regulation uh, reforms. And when speaking about this, could you explain us why you believe metrics matter and using metrics really matter?
1: Because, uh, again, when you're promoting reforms, you want to, you want to find as many allies as possible. And in this sense, uh, our main ally is the public. So what we did was to publish everything uh, um, available for the white society, and we by this, we pretty much outsource uh, the the advocacy <laughs> effort because after that, the you know NGOs, civil society, uh, individual journalists are going to wonder where we are so we pretty much use this self-accountability method that we made ourselves accountable for this agenda and then uh, you know we have to just keep doing it and keep uh, keep pushing but it's, um, it's also a way of uh, let's say uh, encouraging a bit of friendly competition among authorities Again, we speak about 43 uh, different institutions. No one wants to be the last. No one wants to be the, the least reforming authority out of the 43 uh, directors. So I noticed that after we've published it, things started moving quite uh, at a different speed. And that's that's how we win, really.
0: But I do want to take a pause on the the metrics for a second, because I want to suggest to listeners that they really go look at this page, which are in the episode notes. This is one of the most impressive, and I think you're right, efficient and effective ways to speed digitalization within a country and sort of competition on digital transformation, because this is a persistent problem that almost every government faces, which is how do different agencies become digital in nature? How many people do they have trained? And I think that your use of metrics and the transparency around those metrics, again, is just an incredibly important example that other countries could consider as a way to sort of drive their digital transformation journey. So congratulations to you all, because I think it's it's one of the best I've ever seen.
1: I mean, it's um, actually, we have much more ideas. We want to expand it. Because right now it's uh, about, you know, it's uh, one or zero. It's Is it digital or is it not digital? What we want to see is also the uptake, but for that we need more data. We need a few more cycles to see how the requests for public services in digital form is uh, going up, while, uh, you know, the proportion of, of those in analog form is going a bit down or you know static or whatever and also you know just maybe i shouldn't say that now and here but uh half jokingly i pretty much said that someone is going to get fired uh it was a joke but maybe it wasn't so <laughs> we'll see depends <laughs> on how how they uh, how the authorities deliver but of course um you know the power of the public pressure is huge especially in you know in a small country where you can really get your message out fast from north to south and that's what simple page on a website can really help you with but then again if uh, coming back to the half joke half not joke you know if someone doesn't deliver and if someone we see that an authority is simply not playing uh, in the same team of course we'll have to have we'll have to take these decisions as well
0: uh, understood, and always a complex set of equations because there's a number of reasons for that uptake. But I definitely hear you, and and metrics and being transparent about them really do help guide a strategy. I think forward. I wanted to come back to also your measurement of moving from 48% to 75% and then eventually to 100%, either by 2030 or just before. Could you talk a little bit about the key events? that have taken place that have launched that so going back to this conversation about the butterfly effect of small things can have a bigger impact could you talk about some of the moments that have driven this digital transformation change and key incidents that took place as well as the politics behind this because you have been also quite transparent in other forums and you've started to touch on a little bit today not everybody's on board. And sometimes it may be driven by self-interest. And sometimes, as you said, it may be driven by lack of understanding. So what are the factors that are driving these changes at the national level? Where have you faced opposition? And what has been most effective in creating champions?
1: Look, Moldova's example is very simple. And, you know, Moldova's experience, really. Whenever, because these things have to come from the top from from the very top. So whenever we had a prime minister that is afraid of uh, anti-corruption prosecutors and of investigation journalists and what they could find, digitalization and the government in general was hitting a roadblock. It was slow. Now I'm lucky that I have full support of the agenda from the president, Maya Sandu, from uh, my my prime minister, from the parliament. There's huge appetite for these things. And now we can move fast. And the same guys who would oppose if they had another boss are now without the capacity and the power to do so. So that's what really uh, matters. And this is what's really important. You have to have full political buy-in on the agenda. And this is, again, this is what Estonia could tell you for sure. They're so proud of their digitalization. This is what uh, Ukraine can tell you. This is what any country who has made these big strides in a short period of time can confirm. Political will, political support of the agenda. Nothing will move as fast without it.
0: Can I follow up on that? Because I agree with you. And it's something actually that have worked on a lot, which is sort of that leadership buy-in to drive it. At what point does it reach, when is the tipping point where it's so institutionalized in the government delivery of services that if the government changed, it couldn't be pulled back? You may not be there yet, but I'm curious what you think about that question. Well, for Are you there, your... Or maybe you're there now.
1: For that, you need popular support, and for that, you need uh, you need people to use it. That's why, to bring it to irreversibility, we are driving, in parallel, the uptake of public services. Because this is really, we believe, I believe, this is the key. Uh, get people to use it, and then whatever back office, whatever bureaucracy... Behind it, the institution itself would be interested in, uh, in making their job easier uh, after that. Uh, of course, it's a very you know, simple way to put it and to illustrate it, but this is, this is nevertheless, I think, the case. So yeah, drive the uptake and make sure that people use it. Uh, make sure that people have a good product because you know citizens are, are the customer when it comes to public service. And customer has to be happy. So you have to give them a good quality service. And that's when it becomes irreversible. When the citizen becomes used to a good road or to a good quality internet connection or to a highest quality of, I don't know, yeah, digital service, taking it back is much more difficult and much more politically problematic even from, for whoever comes after you.
2: So, over the last past 12 months, one of the areas where you focused the most was linked to the ease, easing small business regulation and increasing the use of uh, business transactions. Could you share which digital interventions you prioritized and why, why you focused uh, there? And which were your lessons learned over the way?
1: Um, well, when it comes to to the ease of doing business and supporting the the economy, of course, in order to overcome our current struggles, we need to support the economy and to support the, especially the SMEs because you know even you know it's good economics. The SMEs in Moldova have a limited contribution to GDP compared to other countries. So, by boosting the SME sector you can achieve this accelerated growth that uh, that you need by boosting their contribution to gdp that's why we focus on the smes when it comes to digital services of course we we focused on the most uh, requested services that uh, that are consuming um, the time of the of the entrepreneurs and also are um, the risk of corruption at the same time, uh, we also prioritized uh, cutting the reporting burden. Uh, right now, we still have too much reporting in Moldova. I believe, for my taste, it's still a lot. It's nothing compared to, you know, even to the region. But still, we can do so much more. If Estonia can do one report per year, then we can do it. Then we'll, and we'll keep doing that. We we'll, We are digitalizing now. So in one year... We're cutting uh, over twenty percent of the reports. That's effective as of first of January twenty four, and we'll keep digging. We'll keep uh, cutting in the going into twenty four. At The same time, uh, you know, everything related to tax, customs, uh, most requested and most universal services. Everything's going online. We focused on uh, on we call this package contactless business. So because Moldova is small, we have to be open for people uh, running their business from abroad, opening a business, closing a business, buying property, buying an apartment or real estate, doing all the notarial work fully online, working remotely from from abroad, from outside Moldova. Without even having to step into into Moldova, and you know, just to the example, my favorite example here is that before we got started, uh, an employment contract was not considered valid if it's signed electronically. This was the situation of Moldova just a, you know just a few a few years ago really. So we fixed uh, this and much more. Right now. Moldova is fully compliant with remote work from abroad from inside the country you can uh, you can do absolutely any uh, thing you might possibly need fully online some of the things like the not not notarial work <clears throat> is still under implementation but that would take us months to to complete fixing also the KYC procedure in order to be compliant and to to allow for uh, our public services agencies or for the banks to onboard customers without having to see them just like, you know, we've been doing that for centuries and centuries. Now we can really do it online. It's not a big deal and the risk is minimal. So this is what we prioritized really to to help the especially the sme sector to be more productive to be less loss making and to be more efficient because uh, we're saving a lot of money just with you know with these interventions these are real savings that are estimated in uh, in monetary terms and that our entrepreneurs are keeping in their in their accounts not wasting on couriers or on drivers to deliver documents from one place to another or on waiting time and so on and so on.
0: Is that now done through, I I read that you all had a one-stop shop sort of government portal now. Is that an accurate way of describing it? And then how does that relate to the Evo app that you'll be launching? I understand that's an alpha version now, correct?
1: Correct. This is uh already in alpha version it's uh, it's gonna come out in a couple months uh now about the government portal you mean the public services portal
0: correct so you have a it's, public services portal now and then it will also this... tie to the
1: app. absolutely okay it's it's a bit different uh, philosophy really but the idea is the same on both platforms really you should have access to all public services that are available uh, in you know just a few clicks it should be you know in your phone it's not it's not uh, you know a, an address that you should visit just open the app and do your thing remotely and that's it that's the that's the philosophy and uh, that's what uh, should happen quite soon and we're really excited about it
0: when did the government services portal go into effect
1: uh, some years back i don't really remember honestly okay. But some years back, uh, it went into effect and um, you know, it's in permanent evolution. This is something that is permanently evolving and Evo is the same. Um, It's like Lego blocks model that we will keep adding new things and new features and new services and new options as as we progress.
0: And can you describe some of the main services and benefits Of Evo, and for listeners, I'll also encourage you to watch the (coughs) video that they have, which is in the show notes, uh, which describes some of those features, but I'd love for you, um, Deputy Prime Minister, to describe that.
1: So, well, it's uh, really three, I would say, main modules. First is eIDs, electronic IDs. So you don't need to have all these plastic IDs anymore. Uh, Your identification is in your phone and you can you know anyone can scan the qr and get access and get the confirmation from the system that this is indeed you actually much less risky than uh, the classical uh, id that one you can't really counterfeit because it requests information directly from the system to confirm your identity this is like full bulletproof second is the payment portal so uh whatever tax you want to pay or should pay or whatever fine whatever uh, tax return and all that um, from the same place from the same app just you know one click away and you can choose the beneficiary and you can choose the destination and your account is connected to it if you wish so uh, or your card one card is connected to it and uh, off it goes and then it's your records, your data. If you are if you have a company registered uh, on your name, then it's information about the company and respectively confirmation that you might need for someone else that you own this company. Or if you have a flat, if you have a car, if you have anything, then it's your health data, then it's your uh, pension funds and so on and so on. So the vision really is that everything that you might need from the government and every service that you might need that you you might request will eventually end up in Evo.
0: And I understand that you will have built the application from scratch, but I believe it was inspired by some examples from some of your neighbors. Could you talk a little bit about who inspired you, which countries you think have particularly good models of this that you looked at? and why you chose to build it yourself versus adapting an existing digital public good?
1: Well, of course, the great example is our friends and and uh, neighbors uh, from Ukraine who have DIA. Uh, truth is that, uh, let's say I pretty much, when I stepped in, this was already in the pre-final stage, so it didn't really make sense to take it from someone and so on. But it's uh, the idea is very similar to DIA. And yeah, we're speaking with uh, with my peers from, uh, from Ukraine. We're exchanging information. They're really helpful in, uh, let's say, suggesting what worked with them and what didn't and uh, so on. So we're coordinating. We're really on the same team. And I think we'll end up with two really good products in the end.
0: Part of the reason I'm asking that, just so you know, is that countries are constantly trying to figure out, should they build themselves or adapt something else that already exists? So if you could just dig into a little bit of the pros and cons about why you decided to build yourself, that would be helpful, but then also why you thought about maybe not.
1: Well, the government infrastructure is still Quite different the e-government infrastructure, um, and um, it pretty much made sense to to invest in uh, in uh, something like that and to to make it adapted to the needs of uh, you know of of our administration, let's say.
0: So it was interesting, Deputy Prime Minister, you talked about digital public infrastructure, and I noted in the strategy, you talk about infrastructure to also include connectivity, cloud, thinking about cybersecurity. But as I'm sure you're aware, both from your involvement with the Digital Public Goods Alliance, but also with UNDP, statements coming out of the G20, even some of the conversations at the EU, There's emerging conversation about digital public infrastructure, which tends to talk about it as an approach, but tends to focus more on the software side. Could you talk a little bit about your thoughts on what digital public infrastructure means to you and how is it the same or different than what's being discussed at a global level? It's a new term, so we're we're all still, I think, trying to sort it out.
1: Oh, it's about the people really for me, really, it's uh, if we don't think about the people, then uh, we are not doing our job well, and then we need a break in the opposition. <laughs> so uh, it's a way to address the people's needs in the best possible manner. Uh, we uh, you know we we have huge opportunities that are being open to us by the digital transformation and using this uh, opportunities and uh, and applying this infrastructure respectively into really knowing what you want really and, uh, and having it as a as I said as a uh, enabler of change I think that's what's really important if did I answer to... it right or did
0: I misunderstand you did. something you did no it's perfect
2: If you could go back before Moldova embarked on digital transformation and do one thing differently, what would it be?
1: Start earlier. Or as many (laughs) as (laughs) you want. Start earlier. Start in the 90s. Start in the early 2000s. Not waste too much time on uh, stupid debates and just do it. Uh, We've had 30 years of sometimes empty debates whereas we should have been uh, keeping busy in uh, in promoting reforms and in in really changing uh, the way um, you know our country looks. So if there was one thing I would do is start sooner, and if I can't start sooner, then move much faster and be even bolder in the in the very beginning, and it'd be even more ruthless with those who resist, because this is what's really costing us time, month after month year after year and then your term is over and then elections are coming and then these guys win again because they just got you out without you making a real difference and they stay and they wait for the new one to see who they're getting this is my my experience really
0: <laughs> you have a silicon valley sort of move fast and break things sort of approach to this <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah of
1: course when you move fast you will make mistakes you will screw up but it's still better than being afraid to get it wrong it's still better than uh, than not moving fast enough it's fine self adjust self correct make a mistake correct yourself if you make one mistake too many be ready to lose your job fine that's also a risk, <laughs> but the alternative of uh, of taking your time when you don't have time, really, because we are let's look around. We're we're not exactly Switzerland. <laughs> we don't have too much to lose. So let's uh, risk it a bit and let's try to be more bold and think big. Can
0: you talk a little bit there about the course correction then that you do? So how do those metrics then tie into that course correction when you when you do make a mistake?
1: Well, when you make a mistake, you have to accept that you made a mistake. You have to be ready to make one step back and to correct. And that's fine. So far, we didn't have like these fatal mistakes, but we did, you know, the process of promoting legislation. There were quite a few times when uh, we were much more ambitious in the beginning, but then we had to listen to other opinions and then, you know, adjust and make one step back. And that's fine still.
0: I was curious, could you talk a little bit about how you're focused on data protection as well? You started to touch on that in some ways with the Evo app, but could you talk about what data protection legislation you've also put into place?
1: Well, it's we didn't yet look into it. Not that we didn't look into it, but uh, uh, we still have to, let's say, transpose GDPR and all that. So we are right now, I would say our legislation is quite, quite okay for now, but of course we'll have to, to look into GDPR and to, to transpose it. Uh, yeah, that's, I, I can't really. So you do you have more. data
0: protection legislation currently in place, have, but it's just not GDPR compliant.
1: Yeah, we have data protection legislation. I would say at times it's draconic. When uh, when it comes to transparency, and it's uh, it's very restrictive when it shouldn't be, and it's uh, not when it could be. <laughs> but it's about implementation. So our data protection, and we have a uh, you know uh, an authority supervising data, personal data, and and privacy, and so on. It's just not GDPR. Yeah.
0: Taking a step back, you know, we just talked about what would you do differently, which is move faster, work through the opposition just because you don't know what time you have. But could you talk specifically, if you were giving advice to another country who was a couple of years behind you, five to 10 years behind, what digital decision should they start with besides just moving quickly? Where should they focus their time and attention? Is it on getting... The legislation, right? Is it on focusing on the applications? Is it on starting on some of the infrastructure layers? How do they pick amongst the twenty things that they could invest in? Mm-hmm. Where do they, where do they start and make sure that those fundamentals are right? Or, as you said earlier, just getting the political will right.
1: Which of those? No, well, the political will really goes without saying. Without it, you won't do anything. But assuming that 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 it's there. I would say one thing we got right in the very beginning uh, of our journey let's say was to capacitate a separate I mean, you know an an individual institution with the uh, digital transformation agenda so this is what is now a government agency in moldova and uh, really these are the guys who are you know the, the institutional memory and those who are actually the partners of different ministries because you know everybody has digitalization ministry of health ministry of education ministry of infrastructure ministry of energy ministry of justice and so on and so on and so on everyone has to be in on the digital transformation but no one will see it as a priority unless it's pushed from above that's the political will and unless there is an authority there is a group of people who have a bird's eye view on how the system should be looking and where we are driving it otherwise everybody starts to build this zoo of different websites and uh, and applications and uh, tools and so on that is a huge waste of money public money but also donor funded money and in the end it just doesn't fit together and within a few years you're just back to square zero so i would say what one thing we did right is exactly uh, you know and in the very beginning was to build this to institute this government uh, Agency that we have right now. It's already over 10 years. And then, um, you know, even when there is no political will, these guys were still doing at least something that was possible, politically feasible, or at least keeping the, you know, the institutional memory alive that was also valuable.
0: And could you just expand just a little bit on that? Because I, I hear you both first, you have the political will, then you sort of have that embodied in this governing institution, that you still have these separate entities that are all driving digital within their own ministries. What tactics did Moldova try to really get buy-in across those? I've seen some have developed a comprehensive enterprise architecture, that's the entire group of ministries working together. I've seen others, they train their enterprise architects all in one sort of language sometimes it's money you know <laughs> and maybe it's all of those things but what tactics have you all tried and what do you think was most effective
1: well of course we keep talking to them and we we have these platforms where we sort of coordinate uh, priorities but really the main tactics is to to drive the process so we have the digital transformation council and we uh, you know we have different again on a need to basis we have different initiatives that we are uh, engaging with different stakeholders and so on just keep them on the agenda keep them working and driving the the process but really i think i mean maybe i'm wrong maybe someone even from Moldova will disagree but i think that at the moment especially to start you need leadership that especially when it's not irreversible you need leadership that that believes in it and uh, and that supports the agenda then it's impossible to stop it but until it's done you need people who support it fully and that's uh that's political uh, support
0: thank you i think that's a great note to end on deputy prime minister we really want to thank you for your time uh elena i want to tell you how much i appreciated sort of your support and help as we developed this podcast. Um, together, uh, we're looking forward to sharing some of the digital decisions that Moldova has made with many of our listeners and um, really appreciate your time and hope you have a wonderful holiday season.
1: Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you Thank for you. having me.